Thank God we are back in the Fitz News Studios. I was freezing my keister off in Colleton County last week, and then the week before in Richland County, literally, that's not a safe place, people. I'm sorry. Richland County, downtown Columbia, outside that court, that's not that's not a safe place. You got Alec Murdoch rolling in there and stuff. Not a safe place. Anyway, glad to be in the friendly confines of the studio. we got a great show coming up. We thought we had a non-Murdoch show, and literally as the camera turned on to film this program boom murdoch indictments people brand new murdoch indictments we're going to get into those in the show we've also got a couple other segments i think you'll be interested in a story out of the upstate an unknown unidentified text stalker who is stalking dozens of female business owners in the upstate on their social media sending them messages that have grown menacing law enforcement's getting involved we'll have an update on that story and finally big news out of nephron pharmaceuticals one of the Palmetto State's biggest crony capitalist corporations. Companies in serious trouble with the feds, people. We're going to walk you through exactly what's going on and what it means for that company. All that and more heading your way on the Weekend Review. Over there? There? On cue. Yes. So if you're listening on the podcast and not watching this show, you, you missed what we just did there, which was an interesting film of me in the chair getting ready to start this show, which I thought would be our first non-Murdoch-related show in God knows how long, months. But sure enough, the moment we start filming, literally within seconds, a call comes in with breaking news, and of course, it's Dem Murdochs, as they say down there in the low country. Big news, big story coming out of this case. Income tax evasion charges, folks, nine of them over a period of nine years leveled against Alec Murdoch, who is now facing 99 counts of criminal activity related to the financial component of this scandal, facing up to 928 years in jail. And again, that's before we get to the murders, people, before we get to the murder charges. But according to the latest indictments, Murdoch failed to report nearly $7 million in income between 2011 and 2019. That deprived the state of South Carolina of nearly half a million dollars of revenue. Again, you can see where this is going. Obviously, if there were uh, that much money unreported at the state level, it stands to reason that Murdoch's going to be hearing from the feds pretty soon. But again, not just on this, on the tax evasion component, but again, that broader financial fleecing. No federal charges against Murdoch yet. And in fact, the only person charged federally uh, so far, his former banker, Russell Lafitte, who was convicted last month, if you recall, on six different counts, uh, wire fraud, bank fraud, conspiracy, and three counts of misapplying bank funds. Now, those charges, uh, he was obviously found guilty by a jury, but Lafitte has filed an appeal, as we reported earlier this month, seeking a new trial based on some jury uh, shuffling that took place at the very last minute in the deliberations in his case. Where's the scandal going, folks? Again, we've got a huge double homicide trial coming up next month. January 23rd is when it starts. Fitz News has been undergoing all manner of preparations for that. We've got big things coming uh, for that trial. Can't wait to tell you all about them in future episodes of this. But for now, let's focus on what we're, what we're dealing with today, these latest charges against Alec Murdoch. What do they mean? What do they signify? Well, first of all, we've got a new victim, if you will, the taxpayers of South Carolina. 
We've already heard about the nearly $9 million that Murdoch and his associates ripped off from, from former clients of his while he worked at the PMPED law firm down there in Hampton, South Carolina. But now you can add a new victim to the list, you and I, taxpayers. Murdoch, like Russell Lafitte, apparently just didn't want to pay taxes on some of this, uh, these ill-gotten gains. So where does it go? Uh, again, clearly an avenue here for federal charges, because if Murdoch didn't report income to the state, stands to reason it's highly unlikely he reported this same income to the feds. So where does this go? If Murdoch is charged at the federal level, would that preempt the state? So far, we haven't seen that. Again, so far, the feds seem content, at least as it relates to charges against Alec Murdoch, to let the state do its job, to let the state file its charges, pursue its prosecutions first. And in fact, something that's worth noting, in the news release that came out on these new tax evasion indictments, uh, Attorney General Alan Wilson's office specifically noted that the statewide grand jury that's been convened to investigate all of these Murdoch-related crimes, uh, with the exception of the double homicide anyway, that that is a collaborative effort of his office, of the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the office of U.S. Attorney Adair Ford Burroughs. So it's clear federal and state prosecutors who are at each other's throats, if you recall, last fall when this case was just beginning to ramp up a lot of discord, a lot of strife between those federal and state prosecutors. Uh, that has clearly resolved itself. The other thing I want to point out, as we, we talked a moment ago about the Lafitte trial and about how that trial exposed some potential motive uh, for Alec Murdoch to potentially uh, murder his wife and son, as the state claims he did on June 7, 2021. We talked about how in the, in the Lafitte trial we learned that on the day of those killings, on the day of those killings, Murdoch was confronted by a financial officer at his law firm about missing money, about uh, fees from a case that were supposed to have been provided to the firm, but that Murdoch spent and then tried to pin it on another attorney. So a ton of potential motive there. And we saw, sure enough, we thought at the time when that was first raised in the federal case, we're going to see this in the state case. And sure enough, when the state was finally compelled to uh, provide its uh, theory of motive for this case, it laid out in chapter and verse all of those revelations related to the financial crimes. According to Prosecutor Creighton Waters, it was an unbroken chain lasting over a decade that led Murdoch finally to a point where, according to Waters, he had played all the cards he had to play. Now, very important to point out, the state does not have to prove a motive. If there is forensic evidence or other uh, incriminating evidence that ties Murdoch to these killings, the state does not have to say why he did it. In fact, if you can recall, there was a huge case, the, the biggest mass shooting in American history, the Las Vegas shooting. We still don't know the motive for the perpetrator of that crime. We still don't know what prompted him to take that horrific action uh, five years ago there on the Strip in Las Vegas. So again, sometimes we don't know, but in this case, prosecutors clearly very heavily invested in a motive for why Alec Murdoch allegedly killed his wife and son. And according to them, it all stems around these financial crimes. It all stems around the financial pressures he was facing and clearly, pressure is exacerbated by any number of factors, but not paying your taxes, folks, bad debts all over the place down there in the low country, 
having to borrow money from his law partners, from his father, getting these crazy loans from the bank that are now clearly at the center of you know, a federal criminal case, which resulted in convictions. Money coming in from everywhere. And here's going to be the biggest question as we move forward, people. With all these evaded taxes, with all these loans, with all the money pilfered from the accounts of his former clients, where was it going? Where did it go? Again, we still don't have a clear and concise answer to that because this is way bigger than some opioid addiction, folks. It's way bigger than just some maintaining a certain kind of lifestyle. There's something bigger here. And this news outlet last fall, we, we, we published several reports that linked Murdoch to some pretty serious drug smuggling allegations to some folks that were at the heart of some serious charges back during Operation Jackpot during the 1980s. Continuing to pull on those threads, people, we in fact heard just this week from a source that is connected to that jackpot investigation. Continuing to pull at those threads, continuing to investigate because we want to find the truth here. We want to find out what happened. We want to find out not only how it happened, not only the specifics of these crimes, but again, that bigger question that all of us want to know, why? Why? Again, count on Fitz News to keep you posted on the very latest on this story, which clearly won't quit because, I, again, as I said at the outset, we thought we had a show this week that wouldn't have any Murdoch murders, crime, and corruption news in it. We thought we had a great couple segments prepared. We we're looking forward to telling a few of those stories here in a second. But this story just continues to drive headlines, to drive clicks, to drive attention. It's become an obsession. And again, for, the, for your latest on all of these stories related to the Murdoch saga, keep it tuned to Fitz News. We've been the tip of the spear on this story from the beginning, and we'll continue to drive this coverage through the trial. And again, cannot wait to tell everybody about all that we have in store for the trial coming up next month in Walterboro, South Carolina. All right, so one of the big stories we hit this week was the story of the upstate stalker or stalkers. We still don't exactly know who and how many people are behind this thing, but this story exploded in the middle of the week, Wednesday evening. We first started getting reports of this, text messages from uh, unknown numbers bombarding dozens, dozens of female entrepreneurs in the South Carolina upstate, particularly centered around the Greenville area. Now, this story, like so many stories that we follow that are break all over mainstream media, started on social media, particularly a group of young professionals in the Greenville area and on that site, a woman by the name of Ashley Benson posted a message to this group detailing her experience with this unknown uh, text spammer who has been sending all manner of like lewd, menacing, some potentially threatening messages, and who is clearly stalking all of these women on social media, that they are receiving messages via text from this person shortly after they post uh, images or comments to their social media that clearly indicate the sender of these messages is following their accounts, literally literally stalking them. Uh, now, Benson posted her message, and I interviewed her the next day, and she told me she had absolutely no idea when she posted it that it would cause just this uh, torrent of similar cases, women who are experiencing the exact same stalking. Now, this individual or individuals, again, don't know who it is. Some people think it's a woman, actually. I've had several of the folks who've been getting these messages told me they think it might be a woman. Uh, but whoever they are, bombarding dozens of women, again, and all of them fit 
or seem to fit a similar profile. They're all young professionals. They're all active on social media through their businesses. Um, most of them are white. Most of them are, are in their 30s, early 40s, although a few, I believe, are in their 20s. But again, it seems to be a pattern, and it seems to be targeting entrepreneurs and then spreading to other entrepreneurs that they friend or reference on their social media accounts. Now, what's law enforcement doing about this story? There have been multiple police reports filed in multiple different jurisdictions in the South Carolina upstate related to this story. As of now, no charges, no suspects, and obviously, based on that, no arrests. But on Friday morning, several of these women who have been victimized by this stalker, or stalkers again, went to the Greenville Police Department with their evidence in the hopes of helping police build a profile so that they can track this individual or individuals down. Now, when did all of this start? Well, for most of these women, the harassment began in March or April of this year. Several others indicated that it began for them in September. And again, it has continued to escalate the circle of, of victims sort of growing as this stalker seizes upon uh, these friends of these entrepreneurs when they send each other referrals for business or link to their their web pages or their social media pages. Apparently, this person is seizing on those linkages and finding new individuals to harass. Now, a lot of women have responded to this very differently. I've spoken with, I've interviewed probably a dozen different women at this point who have received these messages. And most of them, again, take it with a grain of salt. They, they're not particularly disturbed or they're more annoyed, really, than disturbed. But their concern is this, is the fact that this individual or, again, individuals are clearly watching their pages, clearly stalking what they're posting online and responding to it in a very specific way to let them know that they're watching. And a lot of these women have told me, look, what's happening now is not necessarily something that is threatening us or, or frightening us, but it is disturbing to think of where this individual could evolve or individuals could evolve. Again, is this a pattern? They're clearly expanding, <clears throat> excuse me, clearly expanding the scope of their targets here. Could they also escalate in terms of the type of communication that they send? Right now, it's just incredibly graphic, incredibly crass, incredibly uh, demeaning messages, belittling these women on their appearance, uh, on their posts, uh, just incredibly graphic stuff, folks. I've seen dozens of these messages at this point. It's just disgusting stuff. But could that accelerate? Could that escalate? Could these individuals expand their, expand their stalking? Could some of these women actually find themselves physically confronted? And again, unfortunately, so far the response from law enforcement has just been to tell these women, well, change your number or you know, be less active on social media. But again, that is the double-edged sword here because all of these women told me they rely on these social media networks to support their businesses. This is, if they weren't on social media, they told me they'd be out of business. And as far as changing their numbers, one of them made a very good point to me. In fact, it was Ashley Benson that told me this. She said, look, you found my number once. What's to say this individual's not going to find my number again? So again, not a satisfactory answer from the, from the police so far, but again, the, the meeting that was held this Friday, these women are hopeful that law enforcement is going to begin taking this situation much more seriously in the hopes of identifying this individual and keeping them from engaging in any escalation. 
Fitz News will continue to follow the story. We've had multiple interviews. We will continue to follow law enforcement's pursuit of a suspect in this case, but count on Fitz News to keep you up to the speed, up to speed on the very latest as it relates to the upstate stalker. So one of the big stories we've been covering over the last few weeks here at Fitz News involves Nephron Pharmaceuticals, one of South Carolina's top crony capitalist companies. It's based in West Columbia. Its leaders are formerly in charge of the South Carolina Chamber of Commerce. One of their top executives is still on that board. This is a company which has benefited from tens of millions of dollars from South Carolina taxpayers, from the state level, from the local level. In fact, they hired some of those local leaders responsible for doling out those tax breaks that they received. And again, if you notice a little bit of indignation in my voice, I'm a small businessman. A lot of folks listening to this are small business owners. We talked earlier in this segment about some small business owners in the upstate. We don't get these breaks, people. We pay for them. In fact, sometimes these gambles don't pay off. But whether they do pay off or whether they don't pay off, we're the ones that pay for them. So yeah, there's a, there's a little hint hint of edge in my voice as I cover this story. But again, Nephron, a company which made some bold promises when it moved from Florida to South Carolina, promised to bring hundreds of jobs. They have done that. However, not all the jobs are quite at the pay, pay levels that they promised when they relocated from Florida. Also, the circumstances of Nephron's relocation from Florida, very interesting. They were essentially chased out of the Sunshine State over issues with regulators down there. Well, in South Carolina, folks, Nephron has landed into a heap of trouble, not with state regulators, with the feds. And not just one agency, folks. As this news outlet has covered over the last few years, Nephron has landed in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission over made-in-the-USA claims that turned out weren't true. They claimed products were made here in America that actually weren't. But more substantively and more ominously for this company, They've landed in serious trouble with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA. And some of those allegations against the company that have been leveled by the FDA, most recently in a warning letter that was submitted in late October, just damning. In fact, we've covered them before on this show. Damning indictments of Nephron's quality control, of its uh, sterile environments for producing some drugs that go into our lungs, respiratory drugs. Uh, And most recently, folks, we've been hearing allegations of another pending recall of some of Nephron's uh, drug products. We don't know exactly what the FDA is looking at this time, but we know that the FDA, again, a damning warning letter that was issued in late October criticizing Nephron for its lack of sterility. Uh, In fact, we quoted that letter on the air during a segment talking about how the FDA was uh, expressing no confidence in Nephron's ability to Uh, produce drugs in a sterile and uh, safe uh, atmosphere at its West Columbia facility. Now, since we first reported on this back in October, the FDA has descended upon Nephron beginning in early November and continuing through as recently as this week. So for the last six weeks, essentially, FDA investigators, agents have been not only at Nephron's West Columbia headquarters, but a facility, a distribution facility owned by the company in Kentucky, as well as a storage facility located in Calhoun County, where, according to multiple sources close to the company, Nephron sought to hide, that's right, hide uh, various items from the view of the FDA. Now, this news outlet has spoken with multiple whistleblowers related to this case, including several whistleblowers who have also spoken with the FDA. 
By the way, the FDA has not commented on the ongoing investigation, didn't expect that they would. However, clearly based on the warning letters that the, that the agency has provided to the public, it's very obvious that this is a major investigation into one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the history of South Carolina, a company which, again, benefited from tens of millions of tax dollars, which continues to do so. In fact, folks, just this past week, while FDA investigators were on site at Nephron, a huge ribbon-cutting ceremony was held for a new glove facility at Nephron, which is uh, an investment being made by a large Korean multinational corporation making a huge investment in Nephron. But Governor Henry McMaster, the lieutenant governor, and Pamela Yvette, the Commerce Secretary, Harry Lightsey, all there with big smiles on their faces for the ribbon-cutting. And yeah, folks, pay, pay no attention to those FDA investigators in the background, right? But this news outlet, as we have been investigating Nephron over the last few weeks, and as we have been trying to get details on this federal inquiry, a lot of information is coming to light about how this company and its leader, Lou Kennedy, operates. And the stories are not good, folks, not good. Fundamental dishonesty at the highest levels, efforts to cut corners, efforts to get out of some of these regulations that the FDA has imposed, and a total lack of accountability up to this point anyway as to those violations, which, again, apparently keep coming. We are told that the FDA has seized multiple laptops, multiple electronic devices from Nephron's West Columbia headquarters, that they are in the process of re reviewing those, and that as they are reviewing them, additional issues are coming to light. Also, this news outlet can now confirm several high-profile firings or voluntary departures from Nephron, top, top vice presidents of the company, including a top security leader, and multiple quality control leaders at Nephron have all stepped down in recent weeks. And in fact, we are told that several of these quality control departures are due specifically to the refusal on the part of these people to sign off on medications that they believed were unsafe for public consumption. That's a big deal, people. That's a big deal. This is a company, forget the tax dollars for a minute, okay? Forget the fact that this is a company on the hook for Again, tens of millions out of your pocket. Money we don't get when we small business folks open companies. But let's look at the bigger picture. This is about public safety people. It's about whether or not the drugs that this company is producing are safe for people to consume. That is a big deal. And that is why this news outlet has been on top of this story from the beginning. And again, I want to be very clear here. I do have a little edge when I cover stories like this involving these big crony capitalist companies that take our money. And again, sometimes the bets pay off, sometimes they don't. But I want to be perfectly clear. These mics are open mics. And from the beginning of this process, we have been actively encouraging Nephron or representatives of the company or, heck, even supporters of the company in the community. Reach out to us. Tell us their side of the story. Not only are we interested in hearing it, we're interested in telling it to you because again multiple facets to any story and then of course at the center of it the truth but nobody has a monopoly on that truth and again I would reiterate my offer to Nephron anytime one of its leaders wants to sit in this chair opposite me or run a column on our news outlet responding to the coverage our mic is your mic that's how we roll at Fitz News it's how we've always rolled again look at that chair right there there you go Nephron We'll keep it warm for you. Anyway, Count on Fitz News to continue leading the coverage of this company. 
Because again, if you read the mainstream media, they're basically cheerleaders for Nephron. I, I assume they're getting big advertising deals from the company. For whatever reason, they're cheerleaders for this company. But count on this news outlet to continue to report on the truth of what's going on behind the door, closed doors in this company and to bring you the very latest on an issue that clearly impacts public safety. Anyway, that's a wrap for this week's edition of the Week in Review. Thanks, to everybody, for tuning in. I cannot wait to tell you guys everything we've got planned for next month's Murdoch Murders Double Homicide Trial. Can't wait to tell you who we're bringing on, but more importantly, what we're going to be covering, how we're going to be approaching this trial, and all the new offerings and accoutrement that Fitz News is going to be offering. We have been the tip of the spear on this story from the beginning, folks, and we are going to own the coverage of this trial next month. So can't wait to tell you about all of our plans. If you're not already a subscriber to Fitz News, now would be a good time to do it, folks, because we're going to bring the heat next month in Colleton County. But more importantly, we're going to continue to bring the heat when it comes to all the injustices happening in South Carolina, all the corrupt systems, all the good old boys. You're looking for somebody to hold them accountable. You've come to the right place. Thanks again for tuning in. We will catch you next week on the Week in Review.